Welcome to this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit, episode number eight. My name is Mark Hassera, and I am the host of this show. For over 60 years, my passion has been aviation. I flew a jet that uses more gas on one mission than you'll use in your car in 27 years. Special thanks to Wall Pilot sponsoring this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit, custom aviation art for the walls of your home or office. On the Lessons from the Cockpit show, we debrief some of the most fascinating and intriguing pilots, aviators, and maintainers from all over the world. Today, we're gonna investigate tactics, techniques, and procedures, but more importantly, some really interesting lessons learned from a military training event that didn't go so well. Nellis Air Force Base is the home of the Air Force's weapons school, and their crowning event at the end of their syllabus is advanced integration where all of the divisions get together. On this particular night and this training event, they simulate the opening of a shock and awe campaign. We lost about eight airplanes in the first five minutes of this training event, all because of one little mistake that snowballed. Our exploration gives listeners practical advice on how the aviation world works But more importantly, we're trying to expand your critical thinking skills in the air and on the ground by digging into some of these lessons learned from the aviation world. So grab an adult beverage of your choice, sit down, strap in, and let's begin the Lessons from the Cockpit show. One of those great images that will never leave my mind as long as I live is being at Nellis Air Force Base during a large force exercise. While I was teaching at the KC-135 Combat Employment School, now called the 509th Weapons School, we got to participate in the Weapons School's Mission Employment Phase. It is now called Advanced Integration Phase, and it's one of the most incredible things you'll ever see in your life. For two weeks, Nellis Air Force Base hosts 18 divisions of the weapons school. Now, for those of you that don't understand weapons school, you've heard of the Navy's Top Gun program. Big movie about that. Big movie coming out pretty soon. Tom Cruise, Maverick and Goose. The Air Force has its version of Top Gun. It is called the Air Force's Weapons School. It is the advanced training for weapon systems in the United States Air Force. You have the KC-135 Division, the F-16 Division, the F-15 Division, the F-15E Division, the F-22 Division, now the F-35 Division. There's even an ICBM Division now as part of this weapons school. There's Intelligence Weapons School. There's a Drone Weapons School, Command and Control Weapons School. Like I said, 18 divisions all coming together to fight in an exercise that's called Advanced Integration. The first week of advanced integration is done during the daytime. The second week is that image that will never leave my mind because it's all done at night. One of those incredible nighttime periods or training environments is called the offensive counter air or strategic attack vulnerability time. It's a three hour period where It simulates an opening night of a shock and awe campaign. 
we go and kick down the door of some adversary nation, like you saw on the opening night of Shock and Awe over Baghdad. This is all done in simulation. Everything is electronic, but is the most fascinating thing to see because it's a night launch of like 26 airplanes in about 20 minutes. F-15s taking off an afterburner. F-16s taking off an afterburner. Strike Eagles taking off an afterburner. The B-1 has four afterburning engines and three of them take off at once. And you can feel it in your chest. You can feel this vibration in your chest. And of course, the sound, you have to have earplugs in and earmuffs on because it's at decibels that will literally blow your eardrums if you're close enough. And on numerous nights when we've done this, I've been out at the end of the runway watching this where it is the loudest. On this particular night of advanced integration, everybody took off on time. Everybody went up to the tanker, got their gas, formed up and started pushing across at the vulnerability time period. In other words, the opening in what we would call the opening hour of a shock and awe campaign. The students had briefed their plan, formulated their plan, coordinated everything, and now they were in the execution portion of doing their plan. And tonight was going to be epic. Fortunately for me, I got to watch this from the main briefing room that has a 40 foot by 40 foot wall that the radar picture, what we call the common operating picture, is data linked to. But you can also hear all of the communication that's going on, see everything that's going on because all of the airplanes have data link pods on them that sends all of the information back to a central location and and a huge like t overhead TV camera projects it on this 40-foot wall. And I was sitting right in front, listening and watching to this all. The students had a pretty good plan. And now I was watching it unfold in front of me. I could see every airplane. I could see every adversary airplane, every good guy airplane. So adversary being red air, Good guys, in other words, the students being blue air, moving across the screen, moving across the Nellis Range. National Test and Training Range north of Nellis Air Force Base, north of Las Vegas, Nevada. And folks, you have to understand, this is an amazing thing to watch. The reason that we are so good at what we do in the military, particularly when it comes to an air campaign, is because of the way we train. And these students are the best of the best. You hear that in the Top Gun movie, and it's absolutely true. Everybody has to put in a package and be chosen for this. I'm watching the best of the Air Force move across as students across this range, getting ready to attack on what we call the offensive counter-air strategic attack or opening shock and awe. And now I'm looking at almost 40 airplanes moving across from the east to the west and probably about 30 coming west to east. The red air guys against the blue air guys. On this particular night, it did not go well for the students. As Helmuth von Molke says, no plan survives its initial contact in combat. And tonight, it was catastrophic. As the blue forces were coming across, 
I could hear the AWACS calling out all of the threats, but I could see one thing on top of the board that one student missed by a small little misstep in his cockpit. All of a sudden, the blue forces here, there is a red force airplane behind them. And they're all going like, wait, what? What? And there's mass confusion in the Blue Force students because they're like, well, wait a minute. The bad guy should be in front of us, not behind us. And that Red Force airplane immediately began doing its work. It eventually got seen by another airplane, simulated shot down, but the snowball was already rolling downhill. Adversary airplane called MiG-3 shot down three airplanes before it got shot down because of all this confusion of, wait a minute, he's behind us, not in front of us. How did he get behind us? And that's what was causing all the confusion. How did he get behind us? Wait a minute, he's where is he behind us? Because there was one other threat on the range that didn't get taken out because of that one misstep and this other threat takes out five more airplanes. In about seven minutes, eight Blue Force airplanes, student airplanes, are simulated, shot down, going across the range. And because they got shot down before they released their weapons, they were considered negative sorties. And of course, I'm sitting here looking at this big board I can see everything happening. When a Blue Force airplane gets simulated kill, there's a little electronic coffin that goes around it. And I could see these airplanes and the little coffin forming around them and then having to do their task and then turn around and come home. All of their weapons were considered negative impact and they were unsuccessful sorties. Now, if this were to happen in real life, if the American Air Forces were to lose eight airplanes in a couple of minutes in a real combat situation over some capital, it would be on the headlines of every news agency, newscast, and newspaper throughout the entire world. We got in trouble in Desert Storm for losing one airplane the first night. And in this simulated combat, we lost eight in just a few minutes. We were trying to go in and kick down the bad guy's door, and we got our door kicked in. The students were able to reset and perform their assigned tasks, shooting their missiles, dropping their bombs, doing the things they were supposed to. And now airplanes were starting to return back to Nellis Air Force Base, and then everybody went into their individual training rooms to debrief what happened. The debrief is the most important thing for a student when you have something this catastrophic over the range during an exercise like this. And remember, they're getting graded on everything, just like in Top Gun. Everything. These are the instructors that are going to go out and teach the instructors, so they have to be good. And these debriefs went well into the night. We all landed, everybody landed about midnight, and some of these debriefs went on until 2 a.m. A number of students busted this event. 
unsatisfactory. So that means you have to do it over again, which we did the following night. So what happened? Obviously, there is criteria to pass this ride. Being shot down is not one of them. When the F-15s perform their function of air-to-air combat, the leader and his wingman are looking at their radar. One has their radar pointed at high, one has their radar pointed low. The adversary tactics group and the 64th Aggressor Squadron's plan was to come across just screaming in 25 to 28,000 feet. All these airplanes just screaming across the range, heading at everybody. And so one of the students got buck fever and took his low radar coverage looking down low and moved it up high to see all these airplanes coming across. What that student missed was MiG-3, an F-16 aggressor coming in, screaming across the Nellis Range, 500 feet, 500 knots at night. And he was just going to try and get through untargeted, which he did. And then he would like zoom climb up, lock up the first airplane he saw on his radar and shoot it and kill it. MiG-3 comes screaming across, pulls up, and the first airplane he sees is Cujo 3-3, a B-52 carrying what we call air-to-ground missiles 142 Popeye, AGM-142 Popeye missiles. And he kills the Cujo 3-3. He kills Cujo 3-3 15 seconds prior to him releasing their AGM-142 Popeye missile. So that missile was nullified because Cujo 33 was dead 15 seconds before they launched it. That SA-10 system, missile system and radar system, lived for about four minutes. And during that time, it shot five missiles. Pachoo, 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 pachoo. <laughs> But eight airplanes are now dead, and their task missions and their weapons are all nullified because they're dead before weapons release. Now you see why this is so catastrophic. Not only did the eight airplanes get shot down, but those targets didn't get hit. So in the debriefs, the F-15 instructor said, you got buck fever, moved your radar up when you should have kept it low. Didn't see MiG-3 coming through. The B-52 crew busted the ride. You guys should have threat reacted. You knew he was there. You should have done something. You didn't and got killed. The other five airplanes, they didn't do their defensive tactics for these missiles and got killed too. So they also didn't pass this ride. MiG-3 finally does get killed by an F-15E Strike Eagle shooting an AIM-120 AMRAAM at him almost right in his face. And one of the F-16 Wild Weasels shoots a high-speed anti-radiation missile at the radar which directed the SA-10 missiles and kills it. But in all that confusion that was going on, wait, what? There's somebody, a, a bad guy behind us? No, no, there can't be. 
And while they were trying to push this reset button, which took four minutes, the bad guys were killing the good guys. And the next night, we had to do a refly. The whole thing, all over again. They had different people doing the some of the planning. So the basic plan stayed pretty much the same, but now all of the students realize, wait a minute, there's things I didn't do, which of course they didn't do the second time. And the students just crushed the adversary tactics guys. All of the simulated MIGs get shot down. The more thou sweatest in training, the less thou bleedest in combat. So they put two SA-10s out on the range and the students were able to go, yep, there they both are, and killed them both. And all of the forces that were going to bomb targets were able to go through the hole and hit their assigned targets and come back out. And the adversary tactics guy said, you did a fabulous job this night, okay? Because all of them are dead. And that's what they want. They want, the adversary tactics guys want your plan to be so good that they don't survive. That's the reason they're out there. Everybody passes the second ride. And the students go on to the next training events. Everybody passes the course. And everybody walks across stage and gets their version of the Top Gun patch. We call it the Air Force Weapons School patch. Graduates of the U.S. Air Force Weapons School are called patch wearers or target arms because of that patch that they wear on their left shoulders. There are a number of lessons you can learn from this particular event. There was wholesale bloodletting on the range that night, and a lot of mistakes were made. But I think when you look back at this, there are three that I really want to emphasize to all of you. Number one, be accountable for the actions you take. Own them. If you make a mistake, own up to it. People have more respect for those who own their mistakes and learn from them. There's a great quote by the SEAL commander, Jocko Wilnick. And he says, for leaders, the humility to admit and own mistakes and develop a plan to overcome them is essential to success. The best leaders are not driven by ego or personal agendas. They are simply focused on the mission and how best to accomplish it. And of course, we had a good plan. The students had a good plan coming into night two, and they crushed the bad guys, the Red Force. Even though they failed the night before, they learned from their mistakes, went out, did the things that they were supposed to, did their assigned tasks, and crushed the bad guys. Here's a great quote by Michael Jordan. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. You have to learn to put your failures behind you. I talked to an Israeli fighter pilot once, flew F-16s. I met him in Alabama when I was going through squadron officer school. And he said something to me at dinner when I asked him, you know, what makes you guys so good? And he said something to me about leadership. He said, Mark, 
When you do good, don't pat yourself on the back. Move on to the next thing. When you do bad, learn from the mistake, forget about it, put it behind you, and go on. So many times things happen in our lives that become anchors. We let them become anchors because we failed. I've gotten fired from two different jobs while I was in the Air Force. And yet I realized from being fired what I learned from that. And also it was a vector check, God's vector check, because I went on to do even more important things like running all air refueling in the Middle East. We now live in a very risk-averse society. And if you were to sit through one of these weapon school and probably Top Gun debriefs, you would be pretty shocked at how brutal we can be. Because remember, if you make a mistake like this in combat, real combat, not in an electronic virtual world over a range north of Las Vegas, but over Baghdad or Moscow or Taiwan, wherever, people are going to get killed. And you don't want your forces to be killed. You don't want to be one of those people that lands without a wingman. Because of our risk-averse society, we don't like listening to bad things about ourselves. But when we fail, we have to do a self-examination of ourselves. What did I do wrong? Why did I do it that way? What's a better way to do this? And this is what the Weapon School debriefs are all about. Take some time to sit down this week and write down your pros and cons. What do I do really good? What do I do not so good? Where's places I need to change? In, in your mental life, your spiritual life, your physical life, or even your vocation. Take a self-examination and be honest about it and say to yourself, where do I need to make changes here? Why do I need to make those changes and how will it affect me? And if there's some kind of big failure you've had, put it behind you because maybe you're supposed to go a different direction. You want to be healthier, you want to be smarter, you want to be more plugged into what's going on around the world, and you want to be the person everyone comes to when things go bad. The third thing I want to challenge you to. Our weapon school was 482 academic hours, 18 five-hour flights, a three-hour sim, and a graduate-level paper accomplished in 19 weeks. That's just in the 135 division. This was intense training and education. And there's a difference between training and education. And if you don't believe me, go look those two words up. What I want you to do over the next 14 days is learn something new. Read something in some book that will make you a better person, physically, mentally, spiritually, and make you into and shape you into one of those people that at work or in your vocation or your community, 
people come to you because they know you have the knowledge. You have what we call the gouge. You're the knowledgeable one. You're the one everyone can count on in a time when it's crunch point, when things are going bad, and be able to help teach and train those folks and lift them up. Be positive when you're in these teaching moments. We're all going to make mistakes. There's a lot of people out there that are afraid of the making mistakes and are particularly anchored by mistakes and failures they have in their past. Go find those people that you can teach these new skills to. I've read in many articles that most CEOs of companies read anywhere between 50 to 60 books a year. May I recommend to you three books to start with, to start your learning process. The first one, Millionaire Success Habits by Dean Graziosi. There are some really good exercises in this book to help you think and grow but also help you personally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. If you're going to read Dean Graziosi's book, do for me at least two or three of the exercises in that book. The next one is called Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen, V-I-S-H-E-N, Lakahani, L-A-K-H-I-A-N-I. This is another one of those great self-help books that will make a difference in your life because he tells you, how do you control what's going on inside your cranium, what's going on inside your mind, and gives you some other great exercises to do to help you get control over your thoughts and how you do things. Last one, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown a great book that I really enjoyed. She has great stories in there and a fantastic TED Talk that you can go and look up and listen to. Takes about 18 minutes if I remember right. So three books, Millionaire Success Habits, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and Dare to Lead are books that I have in my library and all of mine are tabbed. And I'm talking not just two or three, I'm talking like 50 tabs in each one of these books. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit. This was a really fun one for me, okay? I remember this night very well because of what happened on the range and this massive failure and the students going out the next night and just crushing everybody. Special thanks to Wall Pilot once again for sponsoring this episode custom aviation art for the walls of your home, office, or hangar. I've put links to three of the 64th Aggressor Squadron Red Air Vipers F-16s that you can purchase at wallpilot.com. On our next episode of Lessons from the Cockpit, we're going to talk about engines. I'm going to tell you a story about two engines that made massive massive impacts in the military. One of them in World War II 
and one of them in the 1990s. And it's a really good marketing story for those of you that are in sales and marketing. Because sometimes when you create a new product, people don't come running to it because they don't see the need for it. And man, did we find out the need for these two engines. If you like this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit, please share it with your friends and loved ones. And by all means, subscribe to the Lessons from the Cockpit show. I am your host, Marcus Sarah, and look forward to talking to you again late next week.